Hello, Marvelites! Welcome to This Week in Marvel, our special Unlimited Reading Club episode for March of 2019. I'm Ryan, a.k.a. Agent M, and I'm joined by... C.B. Sobolski, Editor-in-Chief. Yeah! Uh, so, for Marvel's 80th anniversary, every month this year, we're talking about cool comics that came out in specific decades. January was the 40s, or... 30s-ish, I guess. Whatever. It doesn't matter. February was 50s. Here we are in March talking about the swinging 60s. And, uh, you know, what we do on This Week in Marvel Unlimited Reading Club, we pick a couple books that are available in Marvel Unlimited so all of you can read along with us. We take in a couple tweets, a little thoughts from you fans, and we just discuss it. Uh, we're going to be doing this all year long. This month, we're discussing four Incredible comics with Fantastic Four issues 48 through 51. Yep. You know, to date, we've talked about cowboys. We've talked about aliens. We've talked about monsters. We've talked about magic. We've talked about romance. Finally, superheroes. <laughs> you ready for it? You excited? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We've had uh, last time we did the Tales of Suspense and Tales to Astonish issues, which is cool because it's like right on the cusp. Yeah. It was almost a precursor as we talked about to what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. And as I mentioned, we'll get to some of your questions and comments. You sent in via hashtag TwimURC. Uh, you can still keep throwing those in. We can always talk about them on the next episode or on regular This Week in Marvel. And a companion piece to this is our 60s episode of Marvel's The Pull List, in which Tucker and I we discussed kind of an array of first appearances and landmark issues because it was interesting. See, as I was, you know, you and I were thinking about this episode, the 60s is arguably the most important time in the company's history, yeah. right? Because yeah. without what we did from 1961 on, there's just nothing here. Yeah, not just in comics, across all the lines of businesses from animation division to the movies. Yeah. yeah. But then it like it sort of like clicked yeah. in my head. was like, well... Our first series was, like, first superhero series of that era was Fantastic Four. Why not talk about the Fantastic Four? We have a great Fantastic Four comic right now. Let's talk about FF. And then I was then I started to think, okay, we have almost 100 issues of the FF in the 60s. What do we go to? And then it was just like, oh, it's obvious. We yep. go to the original Galactus trilogy and then go to this man, this monster. Exactly. But it's interesting because you pick these issues too, which are structured very differently because there's no like full stories or full episodes in them. You yeah. know, the f issue 48, which we're going to get into soon, starts. It's the conclusion of the previous issue. Yeah. It, and Almost half the issue yeah, is exactly. from the last And story. then when you get to the last issue, you know, we're going to be dealing with Johnny in college. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, they're throwing us into other things. So that was really interesting. I, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I love that. On the pull list, we didn't talk about any Fantastic Four specifically, so we can save that discussion here. So I wanted to give a little quick discussion about the FF for any of our listeners who don't know all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, so Fantastic Four number one was released on August 8th 1961 by Jack Kirby Stanley. That issue sort of reintroduced us to the greater connected Marvel superhero universe that had mostly been dormant since the 40s, save for a short return in the 1950s, mm -hmm. a really quick run of couple books. So number one gives us the Fantastic Four, Mole Man, and potential. Like the you can feel it, like crackling potential energy yep. from that first Kirby issue. crackling potential energy. Yeah. yeah. So over the next four or so years, Fantastic Four will be a, maybe the most fertile ground for Marvel in terms of new ideas, characters, stories, and just happenings in the Marvel Universe. Yep. If another character shows up, they most likely show up also in Fantastic Four. It's <laughs> it's like the the biggest book that we have. And so like 
oh, Spider-Man, he debuts. And of course, Fantastic Four are involved in his yep. first stories. And I just love looking back, especially at these issues. I think it was great that you picked them because here you have two creators who had already been working together for four years, you know, and you could go back and compare to the early FF issues and see how far they come. But when you compare to modern comics, they were still kind of flying by the seat of their pants. And when you read or listen to old interviews with Stan, he says that, you know, it was just, you know, they were putting out the funny books. It was disposable material. It was like, hey, we were just putting this stuff together and having fun. And that's what really the core of a lot of these issues is. It's these world-threatening menaces that come down and that they face. But through it all, you could just see through, you know, Stan's dialogue and through through Jack's art that they were just having a good time telling these stories. Yeah. It's also, like to your point, they're also working like wild. Yeah. It's not just that they're doing one book. It's not like Jack's like, taken 30 days he's doing one issue of ff and he's done he's got covers across a ton of books he's got two three books at any given time that he's penciling stands writing and editing half the line you know Mm -hmm. at some point at this point a couple years in he's got a little bit more help with roy thomas and other folks and stan of course had ditko and, and and tons of amazing artists but there's so much. And in Pages of Fantastic Four, you get lots of alien races, big science adventures, the villains, the cosmic stuff, the negative zone, Nuatu, the Watcher, the Inhumans, and more. So there's just, as you mentioned, there's so much. And directly leading up to this, we have seen the FF encountering the Inhumans for the first time. Yeah. That's like the saga right prior to this. You also have Dragon Man going around smashing stuff. So much fun. So much fun. And then you have young Johnny Storm falling in love with Crystal of the Inhumans. But it's the romance, you know, yeah. that, that was a hallmark of Marvel Comics and one of those carryovers from, you know, from the stuff that we talked about, the genre stuff previously. But here, you know, just in these four issues, not only the relationship between Reed and Sue, a married couple here, but yeah, that young pining love of a teen Johnny Storm yeah. for the girl that he physically cannot have anymore yeah and i think at one point he says i will never see her again and it's the like the worst thing so dramatic i love it and another thing to remind readers of is as we talk about this because some might not know when stan and jack were telling these stories this was done as what is called marvel style so there wasn't a full script from Stan that said, do this and do that and do that. Stan and Jack would get together, talk about the story. Stan would either type up something, uh, you know, for Jack or Jack from his memory would go back and just take the basis of the story. It starts here, it ends here and pencil the, the pages. And then Stan would have to look at that artwork after and then go back and put in the dialogue. So even though they've been working together for so long at this point, there's a certain places. And I think I, there's a couple I want to discuss. We can feel there's a little bit of disconnect. And, you know, even Stan has talked about some yeah. things where he... Jack would dress him and be like, what am I supposed to do with that? And he would just have so much fun with it. And those would become key moments in the memories of so many fans of the Fantastic yeah. Four. Uh, these issues that we're about to dig into on Marvel Unlimited look incredible. They are stunning. The collections that we're putting out these days, they look so beautiful. And part of that, aside from the amazing source material, is because of the amazing reconstruction and recoloring work done by folks working in Marvel's special projects team. Corey Settlemeyer, Dale Crane, and Will Glass, and the All Thumbs creative team, with, you know, they really worked on the reconstruction and recoloring. I wanted to give them a special shout out. I talked to Jeff Youngquist, who's on our special projects team, and I wanted to get their names right because when you look at these issues, they just explode off the screen. They are so cool. All that said, let's now dive into Fantastic Four number 48. We open up on the end of the Inhuman saga. It's not even like, oh, the aftermath. It is like 
the final push. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's so fun. Uh, the Inhumans, uh, you have Maximus the Mad, and you have Black Bull with his cool crown. And they all look so great. You know, they looked a little different from what they look today. But you could see just the brilliance of Jack's design when he was creating, coming up with these characters. You know? Yeah. There's a shot of Medusa, like, walking away. She just looks so cool. Like, the detail in her hair. Yep. Amazing. So at the end of the Inhuman Saga, the Inhumans are uh, locked forever. Forever! Yes. In a secret dome. The, the negative zone dome. I mean, there was a lot of ideas here that eventually got explored, but you yeah. could see the, the beginnings of them in some of the words that Stan was coming up and some of the science he was kind of creating yeah. uh, you know, th- through the dialogue yeah. here. And so the FF are like, well, we got to go. Yeah. They get in their plane. They go back home. You have sad, lovesick Johnny Storm. Well, they get in like a 747 to they begin do. with. And it was <laughs> like, it. and Reed is piloting. Like, wait, isn't Ben the pilot? You know, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So we're getting into this stuff. And then it's, boom, right into the Silver Surfer. Yeah. There's no no rest for the wicked. You no. Know? And I, I was thinking as I was going through this, like the amount of comics like packed into this. Like if we had done this story, if someone came up with Galactus today, fresh, and this saga and had the same plot, this would be the six, seven issues maybe. Mm-hmm. Like because you could – you would think about spreading it out and li- giving more room to breathe and some stuff. But here they're just like boom, boom, boom. There's two panels of the scrolls who just show up and we're like, oh, there's Galactus. Mm-hmm. Turn, go the other way. Mm-hmm. And then that was something that, you know – a lot of this was the, all the Marvel comics were co-created by, you know, Stan and, and all the talented pencilers and inkers and people that he worked with. But everyone always attributes that Silver Surfer was like pure Jack. He wasn't in the original discussion. Even Stan has said this. You know, he was not in the discussion when they talked about the issue. Jack turned in the page and Stan was like, Jack, who is this? What am I supposed to do with this guy? And Jack had this theory that, you know, that. Uh, Galactus was such an entity that, of course, you know, he was so massive that he would naturally just have a herald and he just created the surfer and Stan just started writing him and then just loved it. But you could see the love that Jack had for the character as he became this, you know, in Stan's dialogue kind of em- emphasized that too, the way he rode the waves and the winds of of space yeah. and, you know, the way you, like, as you put it, that he navigated the galaxy and the scenery that he gave you just introducing this one character. It wasn't on a big splash page as we would do it today. It was with these small panels as he weaved his way mm-hmm. across the cosmos to Earth. Yeah. So we get back to Earth, and there's fire in the skies. Just gorgeous stuff, and yeah. it's real weird. There's this panel of all the people in New York City panicking. I probably spent a couple minutes just looking at that panel. The people's faces, the movement. Like, you can feel how frenetic it is. It's just, like, wild. Yeah, and even scenes like that that didn't have superheroes, that didn't have any kind of action. It was just a scene of people running for their lives. The time that Jack spent putting the energy into that. They literally, each person had an individual personality and they jumped out of that crowd in different ways and each one was unique in their own right. Yeah, especially the one guy who steps up as this like big tough guy. He's got giant arms uh, and he's blaming the human torch for setting the sky on fire. Has one of my favorite lines. I posted a picture of this one. He then saddles up to uh, Ben Grimm and he goes, a belt and the labanza will knock the wind out of your sails, which is... (laughs) <laughs> the best. What is a labanza? I believe it's a stomach. I think that's what you call a stomach. Back his, in the day. Yeah, his, his his fist was sort of in this this region where it could be a couple different things, but it's so good. And then thing is so sweet, and he just like goes bink, yep. knocks the guy out, puts him down gently. Uh, we have, we then see Uatu eventually show up, revealing he's trying to save the Earth from the Silver Surfer and Galactus. 
which is one of my favorite jokes about The Watcher. Like, oh, yeah, I, I will not interfere. No, exactly. No, I'm going to stay away. Yeah. It is my sworn duty to never get involved in the business of Earthlings. And then he's just like, yeah, but what if you did this, Earthman? Oh, wait, maybe I could just transport you. I'm not actually doing it. I'm just going to put you up there. And I mentally keep in touch with you the whole time to tell you what to do. Yeah, don't. it's not me interfering. I'm just sort of watching. Uh, and, of course, I love Jack's depiction of the Watcher because later years, Watcher's head gets bigger, yep. you know. I think it's like Burns' depiction of him. Like, really emphasis the head. Yeah, a little bit shorter. Shorter, yeah, yeah. skinnier. But... Jack's watcher is like a fat baby in a toga. Yep. I love it so much. He's my favorite. It's such a great design. Uh, even the cover of 48, and he's just like, over yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Like, what are you doing, guy? Across all this, the Kirby gadgets. The yeah. Kirby everything. But like, whew, Reed's gadgets. Watu brings out this thing. I don't, like, you look at it, and your brain starts yeah. trying what? to figure it out. And then there's the actual arrival of Galactus, yes. where it looks like, you know, the way that they did it with the effects and whatever, you know, technology they had for print and, you know, production back in the day. Where it looks like actual machinery under a la- layer of, like, vellum in between the pencils. Yeah. And it's just crazy. It's amazing. Uh, I love when Thing knocks the crap out of the surfer and he just, like, punches it. It's cool because Silver Surfer is so powerful. But at the same time... Like, he could take a beating. He he takes a beating every time. Final pages of this first issue, though, so good. You have one of Jack's photo collages, which, yep. you know, I was doing a little research on those because I've always been fascinated yep. by those. Those go back to Jack's work a while, and he would use them very heavily in Fantastic Four and then later on in a lot of his DC work. Of course, when he comes back to Marvel in mm-hmm. the 70s, always some of the most interesting, weird stuff in comics at the time, like, unlike everything else. And then that that reveal of Galactus right at the end. And I I like the original coloring, uh, which is red and green and brown. Mm -hmm. With a G on his chest. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) dude's got bling. He's like, Mm -hmm. my name is Galen. Hi, how are you? I'd like to show you my ship and eat your planet. Yeah, and then because, you know, I I still remember when I read this issue for the first time back in the day. I mean, I wasn't reading what was coming out, but later in my comic collecting years, you know, I got my hands on the copy and I read it. I was like... Wait, what? He looks like a Christmas tree. Like, this isn't the Galactus that we know and love, yeah. you know? Yeah. I, I'm actually really happy that we haven't, quote unquote, corrected the yeah. coloring mm-hmm. to change it to sort of the, the purple and blue 100% the way we look at it now. Yep. Because the way he looked is the way he looked. And we represent that in these reprints, which is great. So we go to 49, next issue. I got to say, Galactus, great gams. Yeah. He's got some mm-hmm. good legs. Yeah. Uh, he's wearing his little like skirt. And now purple skirt. <laughs> yeah, now purple skirt. Yeah, he does the, the coloring does change yep. a little mm-hmm. bit. But he's just like stepping on the building and he's just like, woo, look at this thigh. Yeah. It's great. No, I was just going to say, you know, and I, I was wondering about the color, you know, changes. And there's never really a specific answer why things changed back hmm. then. But they were saying, too, you know, that this was a disposable medium. And they were they really didn't think that people were collecting it or they never had it in mind that it was going to become what it was. And then be collections digitally and in print for, you know, decades past. So standing like the colors, like, all right, let's just change it next issue. Really, no one's going to know who's going to remember anyway, you know. And he didn't realize back then people were collecting. They were a big part of this. It became a part of their lives. And gosh, almost 50 plus years later, we're talking about these specific things. So who cares if he's going to be purple in an issue? No, people care. We still talk about it now in 2019. Oh, my gosh. So good. Uh, We get to see the FF try to fight Galactus, which is always cool. Thing getting knocked out by gas. Torch getting his flame put out and grounded. And then 
you know, in this scene, we see Reed looking real disheveled. He's got the nine o'clock yeah. <laughs> beard on. Uh, he's then we get to the scene that we were talking about with they go back to the Baxter building. And Reed's shaving. Yeah. Ben, uh, the thing is in a tub. Earth is doomed. Yeah. You know, we, it's our last chance. We have to stand, make our last stand against Galactus. Johnny goes in and what? <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. Like Ben Grimm is sitting there. He's got like soap in his hands. He's like, oh, hum. Reed's shaving. It's just so good because it also humanizes these incredible characters, yep. right? It connects you to them a little bit closer. Like they're trying to clean themselves up to mentally and physically deal with it. Oh, talking about humanizing, we also see that with the Silver Surfer, him talking with Alicia Masters, who is Ben's girlfriend. Like yep. there's a whole bit of plot going on with that. There's also like, again, we're talking about bing, bang, boom. You know, you're getting like three panels here to like lay out this scene or that scene. And then we get to Galactus building his energy consuming machine atop the Baxter yeah. building. Like, I don't know how Jack, put this all together. It's yeah. so finely detailed. Yep. And the thing that's amazing, too, is when you think about it, it's back then, he was doing two or three pages a day at that level of detail. Like, I am almost speechless. Yeah. It's amazing. The thing that I was thinking about when you were talking about stuff that Jack put in there that made Stan go, what do I do, was in The Watcher showing the scenes of what could happen to Earth. He's like, I'm trying to think of what Stan would have seen. He looked at this art and he sees Uatu flash something on a wall and they're looking at something. There's like blast happening to the oceans and then all the water's dried up on the planet. Yeah. Like you get this beautiful shot of sea life dying on when there's no water around and what Stan would have been like, okay, so what am I doing? Yeah. What am I writing? But it's, it, it makes perfect sense now Absolutely. that it's all put together. And I always wonder, you know, there's the thing where, you know, they knock the Silver Surfer off the building and just by chance he's on top of the skylight leading into Alicia Masters' apartment. But Stan handled that so well too. Like, lo and behold, in a coincidence, unbeknownst how this could possibly happen. It's a one in a million chance. Yeah. But yes, Silver Surfer lands <laughs> on Alicia Masters' apartment. That's great. <laughs> the panel of Galactus's ship in this issue one of the coolest, most mind-breaking comics images. When Johnny finally gets there, it's this like MC Escher-esque oh. infinity design, where it starts, where it ends, what it all is. And it's not even a full page. It's like what you were talking about before. Yeah. It's almost like a half, three-quarter page. It's a three-quarter page shot, and it is breathtaking. Yeah. Ugh, man. We get to Fantastic Four number 50, which... Landmark issue, yep. first series of ours in this modern era to get to 50 issues. Mm -hmm. And this one has it has this cover with the Silver Surfer, right? Yeah. And then at the bottom, Johnny Storm goes to college. Goes to college. Because <laughs> so that like, was so oh, important. I, I guess they figured it all out. Yeah. Great. I want to see what happens. <laughs> After hanging out with Alicia, Surfer comes to no emotion and, and, and feeling and decides to save humanity from Galactus. So we get this really cool Galactus versus Silver Surfer fight. The, the Galactus versus Silver Surfer battle. Again, you could see just Jack's love of the character because he's mimicking the same movements from two issues earlier when he was riding the spaceways, but doing it around Manhattan, around the Baxter building as he fought Galactus. And the poses and the turns and the way that Jack shifted his body, which made perfect sense while his feet were still attached to the surfboard, blasting cosmic rays from his hands at this 50-foot giant is just amazing. Yeah, uh. The scope went from cosmic to Earth level, but it still remained so impactful yeah. in, in the energy that it that it threw off. Yeah, he threw so off. big, so yeah. big. 
I love the panels. It's in this one and the previous issue of Johnny leaving the like our dimension. Like they color it red and black and yellow, and there's a bunch of Kirby crackle that almost goes horror. Yep. You know, it's like really intense, and you could see like pain on Johnny's face. It's such an interesting contrast because everything else doesn't have that. Yeah, and it's another interesting thing about production at that point. If you look at these issues in the credits, there was no colorist really listed. It was Stan, Jack, Joe, and then the letter, you know, Artie Semek or Al Rosen, but there's no colorist because coloring was really done by the printers. You know, they would do color guides in the bullpen at Marvel, you know, up until 20 years ago. And then they would send it to the printer. The printer would do the coloring. So it was kind of a production process. There wasn't like today. There was a digital artist, a color artist yeah. who, was, who was adding that, the, the, the palettes to the, the pencils and the inks. So what's the color guide specifically? Uh, the color guides, it was uh, all Pantone. And it, each color had like different shades of yellow. It would have a different code. And they would go in and in different places, they would just put in the codes for which color the printers were supposed to drop in. It was like an international color code. So, you know, R28, Y32, you know, B97. I don't know them all. All per yeah, se, yeah, but yeah. I've seen some of the original color guides, and they would just lightly color them in with watercolor, then put a pencil of a number of what tone it was supposed to be, and then they would just send it off to the printer, and the colors would get filled in there. Yeah. Um, okay, so we get into uh, Johnny returning with the ultimate nullifier. <laughs> One of my favorite bits is here. Reed immediately grabs it. He's like, okay, cool. What does this do? He starts turning dials and stuff, and the watch is like, whoa, stop, yeah, you hey, dingus. Yeah. Don't do that. What are you doing? You shall destroy the universe. Yeah, it's... This tiny little thing that's probably the size of, like, a coffee mug can destroy a galaxy, a universe, if you just don't use it properly. So small that you never even saw Johnny bring it back. Yep. You, you didn't see it. Even when he came back, it suddenly Reed just was like, give me it. Here it is. Yep. Go. <laughs> Galactus, he can't even with the Watcher at this point because Watcher has been, like, getting in his stuff so much and he's just like, Oh, fine. You did this. Yeah. This is on you. You suck. I'm out of here. I'll go find dinner somewhere else. Galactus gets out of there. He's like, as long as you give me back my weapon, I'll leave this place alone, uh, which is fun. And it's also kind of neat because he could have just grabbed the weapon and been like, ha ha, suck it, jerks. I'm going to still eat this planet. But he's honest. He's truthful. He sticks to his word. The Watcher's like, this guy's okay. He's going to be fine. Give him back the power to destroy universes. But... Galactus also is kind of like, yeah, Watcher, you suck. Also, Silver Surfer, you suck. You're a turncoat. Uh, the panel where Galactus zaps the Silver Surfer is so good. Galactus is sort of in shadow and part of it. You see his eyes. The beams come yeah, out. Two beams. And yeah. they go right through uh, Surfer's head, making it so Surfer is stuck on Earth, which is a huge point for Surfer for years. He's then stuck in... Earth stories, you know, randomly for years and years and years. But even better is the next page, which you actually have open. Yeah, I just had it open because I just love these lines of dialogue so much. Like, it's so so foretelling what Galactus says here. You know, it can be carried on to so many Marvel stories across the decades. Yeah, want to read it? Sure. He says, uh, the game has ended. The prize has eluded me. And at last, I perceive the glint of glory within the race of man. Be ever worthy of that glory, humans. Be ever mindful of your promise of greatness. For it shall one day lift you beyond the stars or bury you within the ruin of war. The choice is yours. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, since we've had, you know, the Kree Scroll War, the Secret War, Civil War, now the War of the Realms. War is such a part of it. But is this the war that Galactus was, you know, foretelling? Yeah. We do not know yet. No. <laughs> oh, so good. Uh, we get more of Reed being a jerk. We also get Sad Ben, Johnny going to college, yep. and then the introduction of Wyatt Wingfoot. 
And I, why it's just like such a part of Johnny's story yeah. that I forget that it was here that he shows up. Yeah. And then, you know, it, it's interesting because Tom Breaver pointed this out to me is that there was all plot points that they were set up here. You know, the coach and the, the quarterback and then Wyatt's father and then Wyatt and Johnny after this issue, go off to Wakanda with the Black Panther, Johnny never goes back to school and they never, ever pick up those white wing plot points pretty much ever what? again. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. So it's, we uh, gotta go back and, re- yeah. that's a story to tell. Yep. We should tell Dan Slott, hey, yeah. write like one page that addresses that whole w- thing. What was the uh, the quarterback's name? Uh, oh, uh, it was Whitey, Whitey something, something. <laughs> which led me to a whole lot of like, yeah. oh, that joke. All right, so that's the Galactus trilogy, but we also wanted to talk about Fantastic Four number 51 because it is a landmark issue. This man, this monster, you've yep. got this incredible cover homaged a million times. And then that first splash page, too, with Thing in the rain, yep. uh, just so emotional and tells such a story without any words if you didn't have any right there. Yeah, exactly. And it, it captured what the thing was feeling at this point. A lot of his personality after 50 issues of having been this monster, all this coming to boil and just you could see it you know, coming out of him just on that cover. Yeah. He's sad. He ends up uh, getting lured into this messed up scientist like house and thing like, gets roofied yeah he, you know what that is exactly what happens yeah. mm-hmm. he gets roofied and the guy steals his powers yeah it's so messed up dude and you know the the, the guys the whole point of you know Here's Reed, who's been promising he's going to cure Ben the entire time. And this guy's trying to prove that he's so much better than Reed. And what does he do? He cures Ben. Yeah. yeah. First uh, thing he does. <laughs> yeah, he does it so easily, yeah. too. And then he's like, I'm going to get my revenge on Reed Richards. I'm going to show him. Just got to pretend to be the thing and talk like him and act like him yeah. and all this fun stuff. All that's going on, Johnny and Wyatt go to college. You got a whole bunch, which is actually a fun little story. And, you know, it's great, too, because when you if you're looking at it in terms of the rest of the Marvel universe, Peter Parker was always the one who seemed to get picked on. And in their relationship, Johnny was always the dominant personality and he ended up picking on Spider-Man and Peter a lot too. And here you see the tables kind of turned when he goes to school. Yeah. Uh, He gets like water poured on him. They're all making fun of him. Mm -hmm. Back to the Baxter building, we got amazing Kirby machines, Reed being a jerk again. Again. Like, just drives me nuts. And here he, there's a, there's, this is where that funny bit where he's like, Ben, we don't have time to be prima donnas. It's like, <laughs> you're calling Ben Grimm a prima donna? And then that's where Ben calls him a ham bone. And think like, shut up, you ham bone. <laughs> so good. We get a full page splash of Reed's what he calls a radical cube. Mm. This machine that is, again, mind breaking. It's got shapes that don't make, your brain is trying to process all the different pieces. Mm. It is so cool. And he never, Jack never repeated himself. Everything looked different in every issue of all the comics. Whenever he created these crazy machines, which he clearly loved doing, it just like poured out of his mind through his arm and from the pencil onto the page in a different form. Every single page he did it on. That's genius. True genius. And what's interesting here is like you mentioned earlier in the show, they have the negative zone reference. But this is actually the sort of what we look at as the introduction of the negative zone. A couple, two, three years before Annihilus and sort of like positioning that realm. But Reed has this thing, this machine, and it goes into the negative zone, which is, it's magical. There's another one of Jack's collages as Reed goes into this negative zone, this place where 
you can't fully comprehend it. At one point he says, I'm in a fourth dimensional realm. I'm seeing it with three dimensional eyes. I'm barely able yeah. to function. I remember that line. So, so good. Yeah. It is Kirby just destroying everyone. Like mm-hmm. there's no contender to Kirby's throne at this point or ever. We see a little of Reed's goodness through the eyes of the fake thing, which is helpful yep. because he's a jerk. And I still think of him as a jerk in this era, but it's good to see that he is not just a selfish jerk and mean to people. He is trying to further humanity, further the team, help people, uh, which is really good. Yeah, and through the eyes of that villain, we were able to get a look not into Reed's mindset and kind of you know his outlook on life and the universe, but also the relationship with Thing and in some ways with Sue, the love yeah. that was there and that really helped drive the villain's motivations, you know, when he ended up in the end, spoilers, saving Reed. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love for Ben, some good ending, all that stuff. And then just last little bit, next issue, Black Panther. Yeah. Like, yep. this short period of time, you get so much. Boom, boom, it boom, is yep. a pinnacle yep. in Marvel Comics. All right, I want to get to some of the, the tweets that we got in. From some of our listeners and, and people on the Twitter. Uh, Jiggy Cruz, our pal Jiggy in the Philippines, Jiggy. says, I know there are a lot of monsters that appeared, but was the Galactus trilogy the first intergalactic threat slash world-ending event seen in the Marvel Universe? In the Marvel Universe is a tough one because, you know, for me, event means is almost indicates a crossover between titles or between characters when this was set pretty much in the Fantastic Four book itself. Intergalactic threat. Scrolls had shown up really yeah, early, early on. Mm-hmm. I think we have the Space Phantom show up. So various couple things yeah. here and there. But probably of this caliber. Yeah. Probably I would. Uh, yeah. on, on a scale perspective, it, yeah. it, it's the biggest. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. Let's talk Mr. Fantastic says, what's your favorite Fantastic Four moment ever? Oh, that's a tough one. I mean, that's like picking your favorite child, you know? (laughs) Yeah. You know, so I'll be perfectly honest. I have a lot of gaps in my Fantastic Four knowledge Mm -hmm. because I've read the Stan and Jack stuff. I've read a little bit of Burn, not all of it. Mm -hmm. I've read a little bit of Walter Simonson's, not all of it. I read little bits and pieces of the stuff that was like, I think it was Tom DeFalco was writing for a while and various stuff. I love Mark Wade's run. I love Jonathan Hickman's run. I'm really loving uh, Dan's run. And there's lots of stuff in between. I think pure my like nostalgic fan goes to the new Fantastic Four by Walter Simonson and Arthur Adams. Mm -hmm. Because I remember... I remember where I bought it. I remember when I read it and reading it over and over and over again. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm the same way. You know, I've, I've kept up on most of the Fantastic Four over the years, not reading it when it was coming out at the time a lot, but going back. But I started reading Fantastic Four regularly when Burn was on the book. And for me, just the same thing, going to the shop, seeing those issues, you know, picking them up, you know, when when Doom was clawing through that one cover, when it was the sideways issue, you know, when, when Jen uh, Walters, when She-Hulk joined the team, like there's so many of my favorite moments, uh, you know, uh, for the Fantastic Four as a team and as a family in that run particularly. Yeah. And then finally, uh, Adam Colford says, these issues should be taught in school. They are pure and perfect. The pinnacle of Jack and Stan and Joe's work together. Yeah, everyone seems to be, you know, echoing the same sentiment sentiments and they're telling the truth. Yeah. All right, so those are the tweets that came in. I, as we've been doing with these episodes, I like to give a little bit of perspective on the beginning of the decade and the end of the decade, just yep. so, you know, you as the editor-in-chief, you look at our whole line of books, you put it all together with your amazing team. And so I was looking at January and February of 1960 because at that point, 
all the books were, were every other month. So to get a full look at the line, you had to look at two months. We had Battle, Gunsmoke Western, Journey into Mystery, Love Romances, My Own Romance, Patsy and Hetty, Strange Tales, Wyatt Earp, Date with Millie, Kathy, Kid Cult Outlaw, Millie the Model Comics, Patsy Walker, Tales of Suspense, and Tales to Astonish. That was very beginning of 1960. So still heavy with the romance and, and teen comics, a couple of westerns, and much smaller number of those anthology sci-fi books. And what year was that? That was the beginning of... That's 1960. 60. The very beginning of the decade. Okay. Then, fast forward, December of 1969. Captain America, 123. Iron Man, 23. Kid Colt Outlaw, 143. Mad About Millie, number nine. Millie the Model, number 180. Sergeant Fury, 75. Submariner, number 23. Thor, 173. Where Monsters Dwell, just the second issue of that one, so it looks seemed like a revival. Mm-hmm. Amazing Spider-Man 82, Avengers 73, Chili, number 11, it's another one of our teen books, Daredevil 61, Fantastic Four, number 96, Incredible Hulk 125, Ringo Kid, number 2, X-Men, number 65, which I think was right around the time when they were getting ready to fold yeah. mm-hmm. that book into reprints, yep. or it was in reprints, I'd have to look at it. Homer the Happy Ghost, number three, which surely has nothing to do with Casper the Friendly Ghost. No. Nope. Then we have Marvel Superheroes, number 25. Marvel Tales, number 25, which was reprints. Already we were reprinting because the demand was so high. My Love, number four. Peter the Little Pest, number three. Silver Surfer, number 13, with his own book. And Tower of Shadows, number four. Wow. So by the end of the, the decade... Almost all superheroes. There's a couple Western, a couple uh, other stuff, but yeah. But what's interesting, if you compare, if you think about what happened between those books you named at the first in 1960 and 69, you had Journey into Mystery, you had Strange Tales, and you had Tales to Astonish. So somewhere in those, of course, in the mid-60s, in 63, 64, you, know, you had the introduction of Thor, the introduction of Iron Man, and then the introduction of Doctor Strange, who then all, in 69, those books you, you referenced, had yeah. their own series, which were already in the double digits. Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, it's... it's they, they just go, yeah. which leads us into the 1970s, which will be our next Twim URC episode. That's going to be for April. Again, if you have requests, tweets, uh, questions, suggestions, all that stuff, tweet to me at Agent M, tweet to CB at CB Sabolsky. Use hashtag Twim URC. Yeah, 70s, we could do a lot of genre stuff. Yep, there's a lot you of know. fun to be had. Yeah, there's a lot of potential. Really yeah. cool stuff. Maybe just Howard. Howard's fun. Cosmic stuff, too. Cosmic stuff. Yeah. All right, we'll figure it out. Yep. There's a lot of fun things to be mm-hmm. talked about. We'll get to that next month. CB, thanks for being here. Hey, thank you for having me as always. I'm Ryan. And I'm CB. And this is Marvel. Your universe. Your universe.